Hey guys, it's Scott. I just want to thank you for tuning into the Blue Ridge Church podcast. You know, I hope this is encouraging to you. I hope it's inspiring to you. And I pray most of all, it's going to help you on your faith journey. So enjoy today. Well, hey, I want to welcome you again to Blue Ridge Church, whether you're streaming with us online or whether you're here in person. My name is Scott. It's always great to have you with us. I know that, you know, each weekend uh, we have choices of what we're going to do, but when we can get together and worship and celebrate together, I think it's awesome. And so we appreciate you being here. And if this is your first time here, I'll kind of bring you up to speed on this series that we've been in. The series has been called Everyday People. And what we've been doing is looking at how God uses everyday people, ordinary people, really to do amazing things, to do extraordinary things. And, and what we're trying to do in this series is dispel this myth that we believe that God only uses certain people, that God only uses the spiritual, spiritually elite or the religious superstars, if you will. And we talked the first week about how we've really come to that conclusion is because we study the biblical heroes, we, we look at the great pastors and preachers and theologians in time, and we kind of elevate them to a platform. And we take our eyes off of God, who's really doing the work, and we put it on the person. But what we're discovering in this series is God just uses us to carry out his plan, everyday people. And so the person that we're going to look at today, I'm excited about, it's a lady by the name of Esther. If you know anything about the Bible, there's a book in the Old Testament called Esther that it kind of explains her story. And we see how this everyday person, Esther, did something amazing for God. So what I'm going to try to do is I'm going to try to really summarize 10 chapters of Esther in about 30 35 minutes. And, and so it's going to be a lot of information, but uh, probably the best way to study Esther is to look at the, the major players in the book, because there's only a handful of major players. And when you understand the major players, then you're going to understand the story of Esther. So uh, the, the book opens up and we're introduced to the first major player, and it's the king of Persia, a guy by the name of King Xerxes. All right, and I'm going to give you a lot of information, but hopefully I can tell it in a way that it flows. But King Xerxes is kind of a hard man. He's not very sensitive. He's not very compassionate, not very loving. And he's married to, obviously, the queen, and her name is Vashti, Queen Vashti. And she's described in the scripture as beautiful, smart, intelligent, and incredibly independent. Okay, so what King Xerxes is trying to do is build the biggest kingdom around, right? He's like any leader gets a little bit of power, they want more power. And so he wants the, uh, the kingdom of Persia to be the biggest, the strongest, the baddest kingdom all around. He wants to expand his territory. So he figures, okay, if I'm going to do that, I need to build some friends, right? I got I to gotta have some allies. I got to have some friends. I got to let people know all around here that, that I'm okay, that I'm a good guy. So what he does is he decides, I want to influence the influencers. I want to influence the leaders. So he has a party. He has a party for all the military leaders, all the nobles, all the, the princes, anybody with any influence and power, he invites them to this party. And this party lasts for 180 days. Can you imagine? I mean, you thought college was an experience, right? 180 days. He throws a party. 
Well, after that, he's like, I'm going to throw another party. I'm going to throw a party for all the common people. Men, women, children, everybody that can get here, the party is open. All you could eat, all you could drink for seven days. And the way they did it is King Xerxes, he hosted the men. And Queen Vashti, she hosted the women. They kind of split them up, but they had a party for everybody in the surrounding areas for seven days. Well, apparently he uh, had a little bit too much to drink at his party. And he orders his servants to go get Queen Vashti. And he wants Queen Vashti to come before all these men wearing the royal crown. And what's implied in the scripture when you read it is that is all that he wanted her to wear was the royal crown. He wanted to parade her around and show her off to all these men. Well, obviously she's like, you know, you've lost your mind. I'm not going to do that. She refuses. Well, back then you didn't refuse to do whatever the king told you to do, even if you were the queen. So in his drunkenness, he divorces her on the spot. He bans her from the kingdom, kicks her out, and then he writes a decree that basically says every man has complete authority over their household, their servants, their wives, whatever. Because he didn't want this to set a precedent because that's just how they lived. But he just bans her from the kingdom. Well, obviously, in the next few days, he comes to a census, right? He, he, the king sobers up and he's depressed. He's lonely. He misses Queen Vashti, but he's already banned her from the kingdom. So his advisors come to him and say, hey, we got a great idea. Why don't you gather all the young women in the kingdom, in your kingdom, that are of age, that, that are candidates, you know, that are virgins, let's bring them into your harem and then we'll present them to you one by one over the next several months and you can select a new queen because you got to have a queen. And so that's what they did. And one of the women is the lady we're studying today, Esther, that was selected. And it's so odd that Esther was selected because she was, a, she was Jewish living in exile He's the king of Persia, has nothing to do with the Jewish faith or the Jewish nation. They're just living there in exile. But she is among those women that's selected to be brought in to the king, king's harem to potentially be the next queen of Persia. A little background on Esther. She was an orphan. Her, her mom, and dad, uh, mom and dad died very early in her life. Her cousin a guy by the name of Mordecai, which we're going to learn more about in a minute, Mordecai raised Esther and took care of her. And so he finds out that she's been selected as a potential candidate to be the queen. So he tells her, listen, your background and the king's background, they're not going to match. And so don't tell anyone that you're Jewish. That just would not be a good idea. So try to put your self in Esther's shoes for a minute. Here she is an orphan, no mom and dad, raised by her cousin. She has no means really, nothing to offer, and she's brought into the spotlight and she's going to be presented to the king. She's got to be thinking, God, what are you doing in my life? What are you up to in my life? This, this is pointless. He's not going to select me. This is a waste of time. She had to be incredibly confused about what God was up to. 
Don't we get that way sometimes? We're heading in a direction, and then all of a sudden God does something in our life, and we're like, what, what are you doing, God? Do you know what you're doing? Do you know what you're up to? What, what is the point of this? Or, or our situation seems kind of hopeless or pointless, and, we're, and we start to question God. Often when that happens, at least in our life, and it didn't happen in Esther's life, thank goodness, is if we think, you know, whatever we're doing is pointless or hopeless, we quit, right? Or we turn in a different direction and we go a different way. Well, thank goodness Esther didn't do that. So if you want to follow along with our notes today, they're available on the Church Center app, or you can simply scan that QR code on the seat backs. But here's our first learning, waiting for God to show us his plan is one of the hardest things we ever have to do. I got to imagine it was months before Esther and, and these other women were presented to the king. I, I got to imagine, you know, that had to have been one of the hardest things for her to see, God, what are you up to? Why are you even doing this? And what we have to realize ourselves today is we're not always going to understand the story, are we? We're not going to understand what God's always doing in our life. There's going to be times our life is just going to feel pointless or what we're doing for God is going to seem pointless. But I think Esther serves as a good reminder to us. We just have to, we just have to hold on. That's, that's what Esther's doing at this point. She's just holding on, trying to figure out what God is up to. Well, Esther gets presented to King Xerxes, and he is absolutely enthralled with her. He's head over heels in love with her. Listen to Esther 2.17. And the king loved Esther more than any of the other young women. He was so delighted with her that he set the royal crown on her head and declared her queen instead of Vashti. So here you have this everyday ordinary person, the least likely person in that whole kingdom, and she gets crowned as the queen of King Xerxes. And again, she's probably still wondering what in the world is God doing? So that's a little bit about Xerxes the king, his ex-wife Vashti, and his current queen wife Esther, who was raised by Mordecai. Now, the next major player we need to understand is introduced to us, I think in chapter three, it's a guy by the name of Haman. Haman is pretty much, you could say, the second in command to King Xerxes. He's the chief advisor. He's over all of the servants of the kingdom. Imagine that job. But this guy, Haman, he's got a pride issue. He's got an ego issue. And so every time he walks through the kingdom, through town, wherever he goes, he expects people to bow down to him. And the king agreed to this, you know, in honor of his position as chief advisor for the king, people were to bow down in honor to him. So listen to this, Esther 3.2. All the king's servants at the king's gate used to honor him by bowing down and kneeling before Haman. That's what the king had commanded, except Mordecai. Remember, Mordecai raised Esther. Mordecai wouldn't do it, but he wouldn't bow down and kneel. So everybody else in the kingdom is following the order to bow down and, and kneel and honor, you know, Haman for his position, except for Mordecai because of his devotion to God. The same God that Esther's wondering, what are you up to in my life? Well, this upsets Haman. 
that everybody will do it except for this one person, Mordecai. So he devises a plan to kill Mordecai. And as he's kind of running through his mind how he's going to kill Mordecai, he discovers that Mordecai is Jewish. Now, he, and living in exile in Persia, he doesn't know that Esther's Jewish. He doesn't know the connection yet between Mordecai and Esther, but he knows that Mordecai is Jewish. And then we read this in Esther 3, 6. Meanwhile, having learned that Mordecai was a Jew, Haman hated to waste his fury on just one Jew. He looked for a way to eliminate not just Mordecai, but all Jews throughout the whole kingdom of Xerxes. That sounds like a lot of leaders that we've learned about in the history books. His goal is, is not just to take Mordecai out now. He wants to wipe the Jewish nation off the planet. He wants to get rid of all of them in the kingdom of Persia. So what he does is he kind of manipulates the king. Haman does. Remember, he's second in command. He's got the king's ear. And he has the king sign an irrevocable death decree that essentially gave the Persian people permission on a certain day, one day. And I think they selected March 7th or March 8th. I, I don't know. what. I'd have to go back and look. But the following year on March 7th, any Persian was allowed to put to death a Jewish person. And anything they owned, anything they had, they could take that. That was kind of the motivation to get the Persians to take the life of a Jewish person. And this was Mordecai's plan to get rid of all of the Jews. Pretty, pretty cruel. Well, Mordecai, who we know is Jewish and we know Esther's Jewish, he hears about this decree. He learns about it. And so what does he do? He sends word to Esther and says, hey, you have to do something about this decree. Because you and all of our people are going to be put to death on this day if you don't do something about it. Well, Esther replies back to her cousin Mordecai through a messenger and says, hey, I can't do anything about it. I can't just waltz in and talk to the king. Unless he calls for me, I can't have a conversation with him. And he hasn't called for me for 30 days. Now, that's, that's kind of mind-boggling to us, but that's how it worked. If the king didn't hold out this golden scepter and call for the queen, she could not come and talk to him. It's crazy. I mean, if you want to have a conversation with your wife, you just go in the living room or the kitchen or wherever she's at and you have a conversation with her. If you want to have a conversation with your husband, you walk into the kitchen or the dining room or wherever he's at and you have a conversation with him. That's not how it works. So Esther's like, I can't do anything about it because I can't talk to the king. If I talk to the king and he hadn't called for me, he'll put me to death. Remember, he's not a very nice guy. So when Mordecai gets word back that Esther's not going to do anything, here's his reply. Esther chapter 4, verses 12 through 14. When Esther's words were reported to Mordecai, he sent back this answer. Do not think that because you're in the king's house, you alone of all Jews will escape. For if you remain silent at this time, Relief and deliverance for the Jews will arise from another place. But you and your father's family will perish. And who knows but that you have come to your royal position for such a time as this. In other words, hey, Esther, maybe this has been God's plan all along. 
You haven't known up to this point what God's doing. You've wondered. You thought it was pointless. There was times you probably wanted to give up. Maybe God's put you here to save his very people. So obviously Esther replies back and says, I'll talk to the king. Have, have the Jewish people pray for me, fast for me, but I will talk to the king. And so she approaches the king. And then, you know, I don't know if he sees her from a distance from the throne room, but remember, he's just, he's head over heels for her. So he holds out the golden scepter and she's allowed to approach. And he says this in Esther 5, 3, then the king asked her, what do you want, Queen Esther? What is your request? I will give it to you even if it's half the kingdom. Now at this point, if it was me, I'd just spill the beans. I'd say, hey, Haman's working against you. Haman, your chief advisor, is trying to kill me and all my people. I'm Jewish, and he's trying to kill the entire Jewish nation living here in exile. And you need to do something about it. That's how I would have handled it. I'd have just laid it on the table, but Esther doesn't do that. Thank goodness she's smarter than that. Esther doesn't tell him exactly what's going on. She just wants him to be pleased with her so that when she makes her request, she'll get it. And she says, King you know, I want you to be pleased with me. So here's what I want to do. Tonight, I want to have a banquet for you and for Haman. And if you're still pleased with me after that banquet, I'll tell you what is going on. You know, maybe there were servants there and she didn't want to tell him. Maybe she didn't, you know, feel God pushing her at this time to tell him. So she proposes this banquet and the king thinks, man, that's great. And so he sends for Haman and they go to this banquet with Esther. And at this banquet, the king asked her again, hey, what is bothering you so much? And here's what we read in Esther 5, 6. And while they were drinking two buck chuck, the king said to Esther, now tell me what you really want. What is your request? I will give it to you, even if it's half of the kingdom. And this is kind of the crazy part and the confusing part when you read Esther. She still doesn't tell him. She's still obviously not feeling God's timing is right to tell him. And she's just like, she doubles down. It's like, King Xerxes, I want to have another banquet tomorrow night for you and Haman. Because I want to just make sure that you're pleased with me. And then I promise I will tell you what's going on. Her patience to me is amazing because, I mean, her people, their life is at stake. Her life is at stake. But she's waiting on God's perfect timing to tell the king exactly what's going on. Again, she doesn't have a picture of the whole story. We do because we have the scripture. But she doesn't know at this point still what God's going to do in and through her life. And she doesn't know how the whole thing's going to play out. So she's very careful about how she approaches the king. How, how is your patience when you're waiting on God to answer something for you or to act in your life? Do we have that kind of patience where we can wait even though she knew her life was at stake? You know, that's the lesson for us. We have to remain patient. When we don't know that plan, when we don't have all the pieces of the puzzle and how God's going to use us everyday people, we have to be patient and wait for God to act. So learning number two, this is what keeps us from being patient. 
At least it's what keeps me from being patient. I think it's probably what keeps you from being patient. Warning number two, we think when God is silent that he doesn't care about us. Right? When God hasn't given us our next step, when God hasn't answered our prayer, we think God doesn't love us. He doesn't care about us. He stopped being compassionate with us. Like when you you pray for an answer, God, I'm willing to do this. I just need an answer. And God doesn't answer. That silence of God is disturbing. I waited three years before actually going into ministry from when I first heard God call me into ministry. I don't think I was like Esther. I wasn't patient waiting on God, but I'm glad I did. Because here's the, here's the problem. When we're not patient and when we don't wait on God's perfect timing for, uh, for God to reveal what our next step is, is we take matters into our own hands and often we head in the wrong direction, right? And we make a mistake. But Esther was patient. She didn't want to make any mistakes. All the Jewish nation's lives were at stake and hers as well. So she waited patiently for God. I love Psalm 37, 7. Rest in the Lord. Wait patiently for him to act. Don't be envious of evil men who prosper. Again, that silence of God, if, if we let it get to us, it's unnerving. Because we think the worst. Well, God hadn't said anything. He's obviously disconnected. Or we see people that don't do things the right way all the time get ahead of us. You ever notice that? Bad things happen to good people and good things happen to bad people sometimes. And that's what it means. Envious of evil men who prosper. And that discourages us. But these are the times when God is silent that we have to be the most patient. So... This first dinner completes, right? They finish the dinner and everybody goes their separate ways. Well, Haman, the the chief advisor for Xerxes, he goes home and he gets his wife and his kids and his friends and he starts bragging about having dinner with the king and the queen. I mean, come on, think about it. Somebody of importance invites you over to their house. You know, for me, it'd be like, one of the football coaches or something like that. You know, you'd be telling your buddies, man, you're not going to believe who I had dinner with. That's what Haman's doing. He's bragging about his power in his position with the king and how he's over all the servants and how the king and queen had him, you know, into the palace for dinner. And, and he's going back again tomorrow night. And in the midst of all of his bragging, all of a sudden, Mordecai comes to his mind again. And the fact that this guy, Mordecai, will not bow down and honor me. And all of a sudden, his mood goes from high to really low. And we read this in Esther 5.13. Then he added, but this is all worth nothing as long as I see Mordecai the Jew just sitting there at the palace gate. He said, all this doesn't matter at all as long as that guy Mordecai is still living. And, and his wife and friends are like, you know, kind of like Job's like, wife last week, you know. She's like, why don't you just kill him? You're the chief advisor for the king. You can do whatever you want. Just put him to death, build a 75-foot pole, impale him on it, and then go to dinner tomorrow night with the king and the queen and have a great time. Haman thinks this isn't a bad idea. As a matter of fact, he loves the idea. So he stays up all night building this pole to uh, impale Mordecai on the next day. And, And if you stop at this point in the story, you're thinking, man, Mordecai's in trouble. The Jewish nation is in trouble, but God is still at work. 
right? And so on the other side of town, while Mordecai is staying up, or uh, Haman is staying up all night building this pole to kill Mordecai on, on the other side of town, King Xerxes is still wide awake. For some reason, he can't sleep. And so he calls for his servants to come read him a bedtime story. No, that's not what he did. But it kind of is because he said, hey, I want you to come and I want you to read to me so I can fall asleep. And I want you to read the history of my reign up to this point. Because they had books of his reign up to that point. He says, you know, go back to the beginning when I started as king and read the history to me. And so the servant is reading the history of Persia and his leadership. And they come across an account of an assassination attempt on the king which he had forgotten about. Two spies tried to assassinate King Xerxes and a guy by the name of, guess what? Mordecai saved this assassination attempt and protected the king's life. And the king all of a sudden, you know, it's kind of like that light bulb moment. You remember something, oh my gosh, I forgot to do this or I remember this happened. And he's like, what did we ever do to honor Mordecai for saving my life? And the servant's like, um, well, yeah. Uh, we, we didn't do anything. We didn't send an edible arrangement. We didn't, you know, we didn't send him a gift card or anything. We didn't do anything. And the king's like, we must honor Mordecai. So it's crazy. They get together the next morning, Haman and King Xerxes, and they both have Mordecai on their mind, right? King Xerxes wants to honor Mordecai and Haman wants to kill him. And so Xerxes asked Haman this question in Esther 6.6. So Haman came in and the king said, what should I do to honor a man who truly pleases me? Haman thought to himself, well, (laughs) you know, who, who would the king wish to honor more than me? Remember, he's got a huge ego. Haman does. And he's just thinking, the king's gonna honor me because I'm second in command. And he says, I think the king should get his finest horse, drape it with the finest blanket, get your finest robe and place it on the person that you want to honor and put them on the horse and and have one of your servants, your best servants, take them all through the kingdom and announce this is who the king wishes to honor. And look at Xerxes' response, Esther 6.10. Excellent. The king said to Haman, quick, take the robes and my horse and do just as you have said for Mordecai the Jew, who sits at the gate of the palace, leave out nothing you have suggested. And you got to grin because Mr. Pride is getting ready to be humbled right now. You know, we said when we talk about humility that we can either choose to humble ourselves or God will humble us. He's getting ready to get humble because everybody in the kingdom knows that Haman hates Mordecai, obviously, except for the king. Mordecai had no idea what God was up to. Esther had no idea what God was up to. Haman certainly didn't. Learning number three, we never know completely what God may do in our lives. That's why we have to wait For God's timing, we have to be patient because we don't know the rest of the story. We don't know what he's going to do. So Haman does what the king commanded, and he marches Mordecai through the entire kingdom for the entire day, saying this is the man the king wishes to honor. And that night, you know, he's got to be defeated. 
And he goes to the banquet with Esther and, and with Xerxes. And again, at the banquet, the king wants to know from the queen, all right, we've put this off long enough. Tell me what it is that you want. In Esther 7, 3, 4, Queen Esther replied, if I have found favor with the king, and if it pleases the king to grant my request, I ask that my life and the lives of my people will be spared. For my people and I have been sold to those who would kill, slaughter, and annihilate us. If we had been sold as slaves, I could remain quiet, for that would be too trivial a matter to warrant disturbing the king. Well, obviously, Xerxes is completely shocked. And he says to Esther, who would do this? And she basically says, the one who threatens your wife and her people. And so I don't know if this is the point he figured out she was Jewish or what. Uh, but she said, it's Haman. The guy's sitting right there. He is our enemy. And Xerxes explodes in anger. Because his chief advisor, his closest person, has betrayed him. And so the king storms out of the room. Well, she, the Bible says she reclines and, and Haman is begging her for his life. He, he's all over. Well, the king walks back in all of a sudden. It doesn't look very good from an outsider coming back in. It looks like this guy's all over his wife. And about that time, one of the king's servants says, hey, did, did you know that Haman built this pole in town today to kill Mordecai on? And so the king ordered that Haman be impaled on that pole that he had originally designed for Mordecai. Two ordinary, everyday people, Esther, Mordecai, had no unearthly idea what God was going to do in and through their lives, but saved the entire Jewish nation. I mean, who could have predicted that? An everyday person. Now, here's what I want to do for the, for the rest of this series each week. We're going to look at somebody from the scripture that was an everyday ordinary person or multiple people, but we're also going to share just a quick story of an everyday person in the church that God's done amazing things with. So if you would join me real quick as we watch on video uh, Tyler's story. My name is Tyler Harris. I'm a rising senior at Virginia Tech, and I've become the Blue Ridge Church for about eight years now. I guess it was a year and a half ago um, when I was a sophomore working on a final project for uh, my media writing class. I was trying to figure out who I was going to focus on and what I was going to write about. And I decided to write about the church and uh, write about their mission and, you know, their 10th anniversary uh, that year. So when I was writing it, I was trying to keep God at the forefront and the church's mission of keeping it simple, uh, fun, and real. And so I was just doing that throughout. Uh, eventually turned in my paper and didn't really think much about it for about a week. Um, after that week, though, God started talking to me and pushing me to publish the story and to get it out there. And I had a lot of doubts about myself and my writing. I wasn't sure if it was good enough. I wasn't sure if I was good enough or if I had done a great job in highlighting the church or really putting God first. Um, but he kept pushing me and I kept talking to him, asking about it and praying. And eventually about a month, uh, quit procrastinating and uh, submitted it to the Roanoke Times and they eventually published it. And it was amazing to see how God kind of took my doubts and stuffed them away um, because after that it 
The story went all over Facebook. It reached a lot of people. Um, attendance went up at church the next week or two. And it was just kind of amazing to see that the talents that I had and who I was got to be used by God, do such an extraordinary thing. Um, it could have reached people that didn't know God. It could have reached people that um, had kind of not been with God for a while and um, just maybe had that subtle reminder. Um, but no matter how it was used, I, I know it was. And um, it was pretty special to see that, um, how God could use me and use my talents to do something great, um, especially for Blue Ridge Church. Yeah. Uh, he, he's a pretty humble kid. I mean, thousands of people read that article, and he said he, he wrote about the church, but really what he wrote about was what God was doing in and, and through our church. And even though he had doubts, even though he didn't think God could use him, even though he wondered what God was going to do, God did an amazing thing just through that article first class. And I think that happens in our lives. It happened to Esther's life. It happened to Tyler's life. God will take those doubts if we'll just hold on. If we'll just be patient and wait for him to act and to wait on, uh, on his timing and for us to wait on his timing, he'll do amazing things in us. But I'm telling you, what keeps us from getting that far is, is we think this is pointless or this has no purpose. Or we let those doubts like Tyler had, we let them sink into our head and we let it stop us in our tracks. We got to realize nothing is impossible with God. And the mechanism he's used time and time again to fulfill his purposes and his plans is us. Everyday, ordinary people. Psalm 27 verse 3 says, Though a mighty army surrounds me, my heart will not be afraid. Even if I'm attacked, I will remain confident. We have to remain confident. Even if we think it's pointless, even though we, we think God may not know what he's doing, we got to remain confident knowing he is going to act. And if we allow him, he is going to use us. You know, it's interesting when you, you get from the Old Testament, and you start reading the New Testament, you can read the entire New Testament. Esther's name's not mentioned anywhere. Yet she partnered with God. She was obedient to God. She was patient and waited on God to save the Jewish race, God's people. Had it not been for Esther, a lot of those prophecies, the Old Testament, they, they wouldn't have unfolded. David's lineage would have eventually stopped. How would the story of Jesus have unfolded if it wasn't for Esther. Was she scared? Yeah. Was she living on the edge? Yeah. Fearful, doubting, like Tyler, she, she's like, how could God use me? But he did. That's a lot of us today. We're fearful. We're scared. We're living on the edge. We're doubting that God could ever do anything or get, doubting that God's going to bring this situation and bring good out of this situation. We have to hold firm, knowing God's not going to use some superstar. Whatever he's called us to do in our life, he's going to use us, an everyday person. So we got to remain committed. we got to remain patient and confident that God's going to act. Tyler remained confident. 
God was going to do something. He didn't know what. And then he was blown away at the result. Esther, she didn't give up. She didn't quit. She didn't run back to her people. She trusted and waited that God was going to act. That's what he does. He does amazing things through ordinary, everyday people. Let's pray together. God, uh, you blow us away every day at what you're able to accomplish. Lord, forgive us when we doubt you. Forgive us when we think our life is pointless or the journey is hopeless. But help us to trust you more, knowing that you're going to act, knowing that you're going to use us or you're going to use somebody else in our life, an ordinary person, to do something amazing. God, thank you for the, the Tylers of Blue Ridge Church and the churches in our community and people all over the world that are willing to get past their doubts, their insecurities, their fears to see what you have next. Thank you for the story of Esther that we can learn and see again and again that it's normal people that you do your work through. Lord, thank you for this church, a group of everyday people that you've done extraordinary things through in the past almost 11 years. Lord, we want to continue to help people to know Jesus and to grow in their faith in Jesus. So we ask that you continue to use us. Thanks for being patient with us when we doubt you, when we get discouraged, when we don't want to move forward. Lord, we love you and we praise you. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, just real quick, if you want to fill out uh, that electronic connection card, some people have asked how you access that, that church center app that is hopefully on your phone or the QR code on the back of the seat. You can scan that and access our connection card. But there you can get more information on our partnership class or volunteering, or if you have prayer requests, I encourage you to fill one out uh, each week. Let me, let me let you know about a date that's coming up, August the 8th. I think that's a Sunday. Anyway, it's that Sunday right around August 8th, if August 8th isn't a Sunday. Uh, we are having Adventure Fest here at the church from 1130, so after the second service till three in the afternoon. It's open to everybody, uh, kids, adults. We're going to have, uh, you know, uh, bounce houses and food and games and all kinds of activities for our kids. We're going to have ice cream and snow cones and hot dogs and pizza, all kinds of food to eat. It's just a time uh, we really this year didn't have adventure camp because by the time we got the guidelines, it was past the time that we would have had to coordinate everything for camp this year. So we decided to do a one-day deal here at the church and open it up to everybody. So I want you to mark your calendar. If you're in town and you're not on vacation and you want to uh, come, it, it's going to be a great time. Also, if you're looking for a volunteer opportunity, it's a one-day deal. Sign up to help us at Adventure Camp or Adventure Fest. We need runners. We need people to serve hot dogs, make snow cones. Or get in the dunk booth. You know, there's all kinds of things that you could do. But if you're looking for an opportunity to serve, put that on your connection card as well. Listen, again, from the bottom of my heart, thanks for being here. I hope you have a terrific afternoon and a terrific week. And we'll see you next Sunday. God bless you guys.